0: Hey everybody, welcome. My name is Matt, and I'm here with Andrew. Today, we're going to be talking with filmmaker Sirab Miramont about the current state of Hollywood, why it's been changed forever, and what to expect for the future of cinema. So, grab your popcorn and Reese's pieces, and let's break it down on the Post Credit Podcast. I'm
1: sure you were a lot busier, not in school, but afterwards. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah.
2: did, I mean did you uh did you head out west uh when you graduated?
1: Uh you know what that was the original plan but no I really missed the family and uh the barbecues. Yes, for one yes. thing I just loved the family and I and I uh decided to go back to Utah after film school in Florida and uh spend some time with them and I had heard that Utah had a booming uh film uh scene going on so i wanted to partake in that and i was one of the early ones um you know as far as the independent side of filmmaking went i feel like in utah
0: is that Uh, because of sundance it was it's so big there or
1: not necessarily you know sundance draws in a lot of people from different parts of the world for you know films that are made all over the world and until recently a lot of films that were made locally in utah uh, didn't really make it in sundance film festival but uh, the main reason i feel like utah is a good film industry independent film industry is because i find any uh society that is a little bit a lack of a better word oppressed in one way or another you know they seem to be very artistic or have a lot of artistic expression
2: well i mean if you think about it i mean look at all the beauty around you you know uh in the state you know so that's i mean that's got to be a lot of influence i miss the Utah
0: scenery so much
1: (laughs) absolutely yeah. The, the beauty and the nature. Wow.
2: And, and do, you, do you see, a, do you see a lot of, uh, people kind of doing that, you know, instead of, uh, going out to California, but going to States like Georgia and, um, you know, like Utah and things like that, you know, just trying to get away from that California, uh, you know, California feel, you know, a lot of people going up to Canada,
1: in fact. Uh, yes. I mean, filmmaking in Los Angeles is very difficult to, um, if you don't have a big budget. Um, so, uh, especially film incentives. You know, a lot of people go where film incentives are, especially for lower budget films, anywhere from like 150,000 to 250,000 to 500,000. Some of these states like Georgia or Canada or Utah or New Mexico have tax incentives that benefit those budget ranges. Um, but Los Angeles, you know, they might have some of those, but they run out so quick. I mean, they run out before, uh, you can even apply for next year. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, Utah is becoming like that too, because, uh, they haven't approved that much money for the for the tax incentive for films. Um, so that's always a debate. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, just uh, for everybody uh, that's joining us today, we're, we, we are joined and blessed uh, to have on the show award-winning film director, film producer, screenwriter, cinematographer, film editor, actor, and member of the 100-plus-million-view club on YouTube, uh, Sirab Miramont. Sirab, welcome to the show. We appreciate you coming
1: on. Yes, yes. welcome. Thank you. I am blessed myself. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Um, so, uh, you know, we, we kind of went over this a little bit, uh, last time we talked, but, uh, you're, you're, are you particip- participating in any of this, uh, downtime with all the COVID stuff going around? What's, what's quarantine look like for you in California?
1: Well, it's been filled with a lot of beach days. You know, the beach has been <laughs> locked down there's not that many people on it, but I'm fortunate to have a uh, couple of e-bikes. So uh, we go down to the, we ride down to the beach, which is only about a 10 minute ride. And we, you know, take advantage of the beautiful views. So a lot of our time is spent out in nature. My time is spent out in nature. if I can help yeah. it. Um, and I was in Joshua tree recently. So, um, you know, if we can't work on set because of restrictions, then I'd rather take advantage of free time. Did you just do some,
0: uh, camping out there in Joshua tree or?
1: Um, we just did a couple of day trips. You know, spent the night in a hotel. Went and went to Palm Springs. But before that, I did work. Uh, I was one. Of, I was very fortunate actually, because I was one of the f- only a part of one of the only productions um, at this scale. Uh, we shot for about a month. Well, we shot for a month. Um, um, it was a very lockdown project. Still under the NDA, but the restrictions that so were on set talk about were it. really <laughs> intense um, regarding COVID. So. Yeah. The new protocols in, in filmmaking are
0: well and i can't i can't based on some of the things that you you, that you had mentioned last time we talked i can't wait to kind of get into to some of those like we did before yes yeah. seen-
2: well i just say you know with with having this opportunity you know i mean you would think that you know people being inside a lot more often are probably uh you know coming up with new ideas and things like that so i mean it's probably Probably kind of a double-edged sword. You just can't, you know, actually act it out and 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 you know, put it to to camera, where you're gonna have like a long list of ideas, though. You know, once you come out of this.
1: Well, you know, if you do come out uh, with a bunch of ideas, uh, they unless we go back to the way that filmmaking used to be and just society used to be, then uh, your ideas should are gonna be very different than what we. Are used to at least on the filmmaking side. The film viewing side may not have an effect at all because, right, they may still see the same same exact type of content. But as a filmmaker, there's a lot of limitations. Uh, for example, on the shoot that we just did, um, there were six different units shooting at the same time, sure. and that was to accompany wow. uh, the new restrictions. Basically, not having more than one person on camera at the same time, or <laughs> more, you know, one person who's unmasked. On camera.
2: That's going to
1: actually probably make the uh, budget a lot larger than I'm sure, you know? Yeah. It makes it huge, Uh, especially all the personal protection equipment, the PPE. Oh yeah. Got to get your, got to get your PPE. That's right. And on a daily basis, you know, when you're shooting six days a week for four weeks, I mean that, that adds up because you're having to supply new stuff all the time. So there's a whole new budget line item now for just PPE gear. Yeah. Normal, uh, I mean, independent films, you know, are going to have a difficult time.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole world of, of Hollywood and filmmaking is changing right now. Um, and We'll get into that. But first, you're, you're an artist in the industry. Um, as I said before, you know, you're director, film producer, screenwriter, actor, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you've done a lot of different things in the industry. Uh, and you first started out with dreams of acting, right?
1: That's right. Um, Acting was, well, you know, I really like to have fun. I feel like life is about having fun and, you know, you got to love everything that you do. Just love in general is a good good ingredient for life. And um, the first time I was introduced to filmmaking or films, it was through watching actors. And um, for a while, I didn't even know that actors were actors. I just thought it was real what I was watching on TV as a young child. Um, And it wasn't until I watched the bloopers on Home Improvement uh, with (laughs) Tim Tim Allen, that I realized that these guys were just playing around and they were, you know, being filmed. And uh, so I thought that was the coolest thing that could ever exist. Uh, And apparently they got paid to do it. I think for me, I saw like the behind
0: the scenes of uh, the Tim Burton Batman when i was younger and that was what made me want cuz you know i think every kid at one point wants to wants to act in movies and everything but that that's what made me you know seeing i think it's seeing those behind the scenes whether it's bloopers from home improvement or or behind the scenes for batman or whatever you know it makes you want to get in that industry and play pretend for the rest of your life
2: well well for me personally like you know for my love of movies was definitely you know star wars and indiana jones you know those are kind of like a toss up really i mean both those Films are amazingly done, you know, and and it just just seeing the action in it and, you know, made me want to be Indiana Jones or Luke Skywalker, you know,
1: or both at the same time. Why not? I mean, these are all classic films. These are great films and they all have uh, really good lessons in them for people.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, 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 you know, have you noticed, you know, especially in the last maybe, say, five, ten years that that really you're getting away from that that kind of i don't want to say like alpha male type you know movie you know where it's just a bunch of action heroes you know and gritty guys and uh there's not
0: many standouts
2: uh, yeah nowadays yeah Yeah, i mean there's not like it used to be i mean do you you kind of see it like you know cushioning you know taking guns out of films now you know and things like that you know do you see a lot of that happening you know especially within the next you know five to ten years
1: yeah, that seems like uh, just taking individuality out of it. And, uh, I mean, that that's kind of the idea of a strong man and somebody who kind of stands up to people or stands up against right. injustice. And I don't know if that's the cultural message that's necessarily going around right now, especially yeah. in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Um, it's quite the opposite. So, yeah, I feel like that's definitely under attack or, I mean, I don't even know if they're still an attack on it. It's just not those kind of films aren't really being made in Hollywood, at least. Right. Masculinity under attack. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so, Rob, you won the uh, the 2005 New York International Film Festival's Audience Choice Award and were named film- uh, Filmmaker to Watch by Digital Filmmaker uh, Magazine UK for your first film, uh, The Beautiful Wind. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that movie and what the process was like making it, you know, taking it to festivals, a reaction, and what th- what that all felt like?
1: Yes, uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty incredible experience. Um, And it was basically the first film, the first real film that I decided to make when I was, I think, 19 years old. Um, Before then, I had made some small stuff, you know, just by myself and some family relatives at like age 14 was the first mini short film. But at 19, I was in film school at Full Sail University in Florida. And uh, it was the third month in school, third or fourth month in school, and um, it was cinematography class, but I was kind of bored in, in school as I was, it was kind of the theme throughout my life. I was kind of bored in school because I had my own focus and my own thoughts and the stuff that I wanted to do. And so I decided I in, in class, yeah, I decided in class to just go and uh, kind of make my own film. And it was inspired off of uh, meeting a friend of mine named Tarek McCarthy, who had this uh, disease called Von Hippel-Lindau syndrome, which caused tumors to grow all
0: getting into it i was wow, sorry too. about that <laughs> your alarm's my- going off it's time to sanitize <laughs> yeah <laughs> that
1: was a good uh that was a good beat now we're <laughs> back from right. intermission back there we go. Was, beautiful I was, wind i was bopping along with that <laughs> <laughs> there we go i don't know i hope we don't have to pay royalties to anybody for that. apple's coming hey, uh, it's, it's um,
2: elevator music right you know
1: that's right um anyways i long story short i was i was really inspired by a friend of mine who had a very close near death experience um while I was in film school I was very young and he was I think 10 years older than me and uh his story really inspired me and I kind of went home and I wrote the script and I presented it to him um after presenting it to my brother and my brother kind of was always very relaxed and never really uh he always supported me but he was like you know I'll, I'll help you make this film but you you start it up first and then i'll come join you and I- <laughs> you do all the hard work and i'm yeah. gonna
2: come in and you uh, take all the chances <laughs> and then you know take yeah
1: that's right yeah but he's my older brother so he's you know he comes in uh, eventually after i, I le- leave the charge in filmmaking at least absolutely Um, uh, but i presented it to my friend tarik who inspired the film and he loved it and uh we started filming it and uh in a matter of days. And the whole point of making it was to submit it to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, that was the first original inspiration because my uncle had actually uh, who's also a filmmaker, had been the president of the jury of the Cannes Film Festival. And I think he was serving as a jury member this particular year as well. And so we really wanted to get it done in time to submit it for that. Um, and we did, but it didn't get submitted. And uh, I mean, I'm sorry, it, it didn't get accepted, I mean, for, many reasons obviously like i think there's there's some flaws in it but it did get accepted into some other film festivals um including the new york international film festival which awesome. was an amazing experience to win the audience choice award there um and from there it kind of spiraled and went to uh went to the directing course at full Sail university for a little while and the director the directing teacher there used that as kind of a film study piece for people and then it circulated a little bit around the world, and some people at different universities—one in Brazil—asked me to like trans asked if it would be okay for them to translate the film. And I started to get letters from all over the place, and it was pretty pretty incredible. It was my first experience knowing that I can make something that uh, people would actually watch, and then maybe give some feedback to right. some sort of definitely. So, so is, is that when you
2: um, you you, know, you said you did want to be. Um, an actor first, and then director. You know, I mean, we, we, you know, we, after that first production, were you just kind of like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I need to be doing. Um, you know, did you just were you, were you like on a kind of a um, a work a high. high, a high for it? You know,
1: actually, the directing thing. Knowing that I wanted to direct, um, <laughs> it started when I was 14 years old. I um, I was supposed to act in this little short film for. For an online film competition and my brother was going to be the cinematographer mm-hmm. um and he didn't quite hold the camera the way that I wanted <laughs> <what> I <laughs> That's so, how brothers ago. Yeah, so I basically, you know, took the camera over and I was trying to show him how I wanted it to look and I just in that moment I realized, you know, I really like the framing of the camera and like holding the camera. And then uh It was actually right then and there where I I decided to not act and uh, he acted in the film instead. Okay. Um, And from there, I I did a few more short films and then in film school, it was just. um,
2: Designing and filming and directing and all that
1: fun stuff. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just wanted to control the the image much like, I mean, I actually always wanted to be a painter. And I, I still want to be able to paint, but I really am terrible. I, I
2: know but this is kind of like painting like on a screen you know I mean it, it it's kind of like that you know I mean the I'm sure yeah. the creation process and
0: everything else too so absolutely yeah i'm going to find you in a few years in your own little warehouse <laughs> like jim Carrey. <laughs> with, his, oh, with wow. his nice little yeah, i mean I, that dude is a painter i mean he can he say he's what got got you will he's he's got some good paintings i don't know if yeah, you've seen some good. of the stuff he's done but
1: yeah i saw him hanging upside down painting and
0: <laughs> <laughs> And uh, your your uncle, um, hopefully I don't butcher this Abbas Kiristami. There you go. Um, he's uh, basically uh, an Iranian film legend, right? I mean, he was he was he was asked to to sit uh, as a, as a, um, someone who votes for like the Academy Awards and stuff like well, that. Well, that's right? kind of what he was talking about too before. So yeah, but I, I just what what kind of influences did you did you get from him? I mean, what kind of an influence was he in your life? Can you talk a little bit about
1: him? Well, he was um, just growing up, probably the most elusive character in our family and also the coolest character in the family, probably because he was elusive and he would travel the world. And I remember for the first little while I lived in Iran, I remember he would always be traveling and we'd sometimes be hanging out at his house, but he wouldn't be there because he was traveling, making a movie. For a while, I didn't know what that meant when people would tell me what he's doing. I just knew he was gone all the time. But when I started to piece it all together and what he did for a living, and then I started to watch his films, his first film that I watched was Taste of Cherry, which won the d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 1997. Oh, wow. It was, which really put him on the map. And uh, I watched that film, you know, and it got to the very ending of it. And, uh, and the end credits came on. It was basically the last 10 minutes of the film. The end credits are kind of part of the ending of the film. And I just remember I was in real awe that my uncle made that film because I just, it seemed like a whole nother level of thinking and thought process. And I hadn't really experienced that uh, Mm. per se to that level, uh, to that depth in in my other engagements uh, with my other family members. And to see it it on screen and to know that it came from a family member of mine, of course, a lot of my family members are very very talented. Especially well, that side. Yeah, well, and you were you were just talking
2: about it too is that saying, you know, like when you watch a movie, you know, it's like you you're you're there in the movie, you know, that type of so, and you said you mentioned that earlier and so, you know, seeing something that you're your family member made for you, that had to be just kind of a like wow, this is here,
1: you know, this is what I want to do kind of, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, not only what I want to do, but then uh, ha- having him like kind of make those the accomplishments that he had made and uh, knowing him just made me realize how possible it also was for me to do it. So I never yeah. had any hesitations on making movies.
0: Yeah. Um, well, your your second feature film uh, following Blue Door uh, was The Freemacing, uh, and that was starring Sean Astin, uh, Lord of the Rings and Goonies fame. Um it was screened uh, internationally uh, internationally, and won multiple awards, including Comic-Con Film Festival's Best Director and Best Editor Awards. Um, how did you get on this project, um, and what was what was it like working with Sean Astin?
1: Well, I was working in L.A. as a first AD. I had been ADing for maybe two years for a Disney Channel show called Game On. And um, I really wanted to direct... And I had been making some music videos and some short films here in L.A., and I was just trying to make connections to, to direct another feature. I had some that I had written or commissioned to write, but uh, I randomly got the phone call for The Freemason from a Salt Lake City producer named Joseph James, and he called me up and he's like, hey, I hear you live in L.A., and you're a, you're a director. You got any interest in directing this film called The Freemason?, uh, and he told me something like it shoots in three weeks or three and a half weeks, huh. something very crazy. And, and I was replacing a director.
0: And Sean uh, Aston wasn't on
1: board at that time, right? Sean Aston, yep, correct. He was not on board at the time. Uh, so at the time, there was really minimal attachments. There was actually maybe uh, some local Utah actor attachments for some of the smaller roles. Um, and some of the supporting roles as, as well may have been already cast. But, but I went in there and the script was a little bit longer and we had a short amount of time and the budget wasn't really quite there given my experience in the way that I felt like it needed to be shooted uh, to be shot. Um, so there was a lot of days scheduled and there was too many pages to shoot. And so I, I cut like 20 pages off of it. And, uh, before, you know, anybody could really approve it, uh, like the financiers and everybody, we were pretty much in production already. So we, we, we started shooting it. Um, and there was a, you know, we also cut off an, Uh, an immense number of days so we could have more money each day uh, as opposed to like less money but more shooting days right It it all kind of worked out pretty good um but uh but anyways um we ended up recasting a lot of people we brought in some la actors for the supporting roles alex mckenna and randy wayne they were the two supportings right and then at that point we um were out to a few people and at the top of the list that we were presented with as like potential people who we could cast or reach out to Sean Astin was on there. And I thought that that would be amazing because I had grown up watching him and, uh, he was another kind of inspiration to want to make movies because of the films that he had been in. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think they give him enough credit for, for the
2: scope of range that he has. I mean, you see him, he, you know, he can definitely play, you know, the, uh, uh you know, the Lord of the Rings character and then he goes from there and then he and then he can do something like Stranger Things, you know, or, you know, Goonies or, or whatnot. Or Fifty you
0: know? First Dates where he's yeah, a yeah. on that. But I
2: mean, like every single one of these, you know, big, big shot roles that with him, he's just, uh, you know, pretty much playing a huge range of characters, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Fifty First Dates is a film a lot of people oh, don't remember phenomenal. him being in. Because he is such a character. Of my, that's
0: probably my favorite of his, maybe after the Goonies. But yeah, that's well. Favorite. Well, remember he was also in Click too. <clears throat> that's <Remember>? right. <laughs> uh, well, did you have any like on set? Uh, I, I know you kind of had said that it's it's uh, you, you want to keep it more professional as a director and everything. But did you get a chance to ask him or hear about any of his experiences in, in filmmaking or anything
1: like that? He talks a lot to the crew. You know, I, I did definitely want to try to keep it professional and not have him jump out of character when he was talking to me because that director-actor relationship was set. But I would overhear him talking to the crew members about his experiences, especially on Lord of the Rings and uh, Peter Jackson and how sometimes Peter Jackson would have something like, uh, you know, anywhere from six to 12 units going at one time. And he would be Skype directing. And uh, wow. sometimes sometimes even Sean Astin would be directing the unit um, wow. and, you know, other actors, other uh, like the main actors in Lord of the Rings would be directing their own units uh, just because there was so much to film in seemingly so little time, even though they had three years to, to make the film. Hey, but yeah.
0: you said you had six sets, uh, six, six <laughs> units going yeah. on. Right.
1: So so right, <laughs> look at you. You're, you're in Peter
0: Jackson's league, man.
1: Right. We might get six Oscars.
2: Well, and then, you know, and and like you were talking, you know, him talking to the crew and stuff like that, you know, people don't realize, you know, again, I grew up watching him on Goonies when he was a kid, you know, so, you you know, Rudy. Yeah. So Rudy. Yeah, he was actually. And that's one of my favorite all time movies. But, you know, I mean, he, he just he's really is a veteran Of the industry, I mean, he's he's been doing it since you know a little as a little kid, you know, and now he's doing it. He's been able to
0: maintain it without any kind of like controversy. Yeah, you know, the teenage and early twenty roller coaster that some child actors go through. He he did Uh, yeah, you know, maintain pretty good composure.
2: Like like Corey is their first name, and they have several different (laughs) last
0: names. No name dropping.
2: Hey, I just said one word. One word
0: for two. Yeah. Yes. And one <laughs> word for two. The Corys. The Corys. R.I.P. Cory Haim. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what we really want to get into and discuss today is the state of the film industry and cinema and what's to come. Um, there have been a lot of contributing factors to basically the screeching halt that Hollywood has come to in light of the Rona. Um, but, you know, there are already cracks in, in this machine leading up to this, this full stop that i think we should touch on um for i guess for those that you know some people may just be oblivious to the fact that this has slowed down not only every other industry in america but also the hollywood machine so can you kind of t- talk t- talk to you know what what is the state of hollywood and and what's going on right now with with all these uh, restrictions and and what was kind of leading up to it before then
1: well, before I answer that, can I ask your opinion on what you think the Hollywood machine is or its purpose is? Well, what I consider the
0: Hollywood machine is the, the studio, uh, the studio movies where where they go and they they will write a script and then, you know, they'll rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And then they'll shoot the movie and they'll screen it and then they reshoot and then rescreen and re- so basically by the end of it, they have this packaged product. Uh, these big studios do, and, and you know they they push it out that way. Where whereas it's not like one singular artist's vision; it's 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 that machine of a packaged product instead of a work of art.
1: That's pretty good uh, description of what the process is in in Hollywood for sure. Mm. Um, I would uh, take it take the question one step further and uh, and see and ask why it's that process. Uh, Why is there no singular artistic vision? Why does it not matter if uh, they go through multiple directors on the same project or have several different writers on the same project or several editors on the same project? It doesn't matter who's on the project on the crew side. It's always going to come out the same way and be delivered the same way and get the same exact results because, as you say, it's so uh, scientifically orchestrated and tested. Yeah, so, and, and,
2: and I feel I feel like because you know they pump out so many, um, you know, movies a year. I mean, not not this year, obviously, but they, you know, they really do pump out so many movies that it's just kind of like, you know, a lot of the good ones probably get lost, you know, and 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 not 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 be able to be viewed because it gets you know it falls down in the cracks kind of situation, you know. Um, that's why that's where I think we're at now,
1: you know. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the good ones are the ones that, uh, when we say good, they're ones that make you think as a human being and, you know, find some yes, character and, um, you know, have like good messages and good stories and aren't necessarily mind-numbing content. Those are the good yeah. ones that seem to end up falling uh, in the cracks and people don't really hear about them. Or they open up in theaters very strategically next yeah. to a huge blockbuster film yeah. and it really has no chance of competing.
0: Yeah, the, the, the singular vision that you can tell comes from a human being instead of a company. Right? Exactly.
2: exactly. Or, or, or even, you know, as simple as, you know, you get that viewer that, you know, finds you know just accidentally stumbles upon just this great picture that you know you never heard of no trailers came out for it you know and and it's just you know you miss out on that you know I I, I know there's movies out there that I that you know I actually finally watched and people talked about it all the time and then I saw so I finally sit down and watch it and I'm just blown back and upset at myself that I didn't watch it
1: earlier you know yeah sometimes uh, sometimes the main channel is kind of uh it's programming for a very certain reason and so if that if the main channel is taken over where it's always the same kind of packaging same material same program that's yeah. given to you then you have to look in the back channels and the back channels is like you're saying through your friend's word of mouth mm-hmm. or different uh, streaming services like criterion collection and there's mm-hmm. several other ones
2: yeah, because I mean, like, like for instance, you know, um, just the other day, I was, I was looking for the movie, you know, the mummy or whatever, you know, and, but I mean, it brought up like thirty five thousand different copy, you know, versions of the mummy,
0: the bandaged man, yeah,
2: <laughs> locusts. But no, I mean, they even went with the mummy, but they like capitalized one M and then the other one, you know, the other two were lowercase, but then the U was up. It was just really weird. So. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, like packaging. yeah, like you got Independence Day and then right next to it, it looks like the same cover and it's like um, freedom against
1: aliens or something like that. I mean, it's like,
0: it's, it's like the same thing as Independence Day, just very cheaply done. Yeah.
1: So I feel like there's an agenda, you know, behind Hollywood films and why Hollywood films without a certain amount of people green lighting the project. I mean, it will not get made or it won't get released because it has to hit the certain, uh, Boxes, you know, it has to do all the same mm. things emotionally, especially. I mean, those are the ones that you categorize as huge blockbusters, is the ones that emotionally, yes, absolutely, click the right boxes. So, but, you
2: know, I mean, you know, there have been some that, you know, really kind of hit me emotionally, but they weren't like huge blockbusters. But again, you know, you, you kind of have to play to a certain kind of crowd, you know, have. Make sure you have this trailer done by you know this amazing director or whatever, and and do different things like that just to get your piece out there, you know.
1: Yeah, and when I say emotionally, I don't necessarily mean uh, pulling on your heartstrings from a film right. like The Notebook or something, uh, right? Some foreign <laughs> film that's really you know giving you good feelings. I mean emotionally, kind of. Why didn't you write me? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I wrote you every day, three hundred sixty-five days.
0: Wow, that's we're all quoting the Notebook right now. So yeah. let's knock that off. Uh, it's an important piece of art. It is. It's very important. But when
1: you are forced to watch it by your wife, it's, it changes. <laughs> it changes how you watch it. That's right. Uh, but yeah, no, it, I feel like I feel like basically what's happening right now with Hollywood is that uh, maybe it has definitely served its purpose. I mean, I feel like a lot of industries in the world, uh, in their tangible. Um, analog form have served their purpose and we're going on to this next level of, you know, filmmaking, film viewing. Um, In essence, I mean, this might sound a few levels out there, but I feel like uh, the current Hollywood films are doing a really good job at what the Hollywood studios want them to do. And it's not just Mm -hmm. ticket sales because ticket sales is one part of it, but um, I feel like the way it's influencing culture so um, it's doing that in a, a, alongside uh, technology, and they're kind of working hand-in-hand hand because the entertainment industries of the world also own the technology industries, and um, everything's feeding to the same culture. So, so I feel like uh, a goal has been met, and we're going to the next level of things. Um, and that's where we are today with filmmaking.
0: And yeah, film- and and you know... Uh, speaking about what you know, what we're talking about, you know, a, a good example to use is you know addressing the comments uh, that that Martin Scorsese uh, had about uh, movies like The Avengers, um, and these are comments for all you know for all my love of comic book and franchise movies that I agree with. Um, if you're talking about you know classic cinema, these singular visions and everything. Uh, recent quote: uh, He said about the Marvel movies, they seem to be closer to theme parks than they are to movies. Uh, as I've known and loved them throughout my life, and uh, that in the end, you know, I don't think they're cinema. Um, he also talked about how cinema and art should be the, uh, the, the unexpected and that with movies like Marvel, Marvel movies, there's nothing at risk. You know, the risk he discusses is the risk of, um, you know, the visionary artists. Franchise pictures dominate theaters. You know, these movies have been market, like I said, they've been market research, screened, reshot, all that kind of stuff. Um, and now through reviewers and also a viewer's tendency to want comfort over substance, you know, we're used to and prefer a studio, studio movie as, as a whole, uh, uh, the American or world public as a whole. You know, we prefer that over the risk of a singular artist's vision. And maybe that's only because, you know, we're spoon fed the, the studio built franchise over that singular vision because of what's considered risky or not. So, you know, speaking to that issue, um, you know... Before we get into the current, you know, the current crisis in a culture where we crave predictability over the mystery of an unknown story, what does that mean for cinema or smaller films? You know, I, uh, what can we do to promote these singular films to, to to encourage more people
1: to watch them? Well, I feel like Martin Scorsese should be able to make a film whenever he would like to make a film, no matter what the subject matter. If it's got CGI in it, or it's just about people. But I feel like he wrote that statement because it's getting harder for him to get films made. Yep, absolutely. And, and it, maybe maybe it's not hard for him to get them made, but it's hard for them to find a home or for them to get distribution.
0: Because he was really excited about his most recent uh, one on Netflix. The Irishman, the Irishman, yeah. I mean, he he. I mean, they, they were real excited and had to like convince Joe Pesci to, to come on. And we're like, dude, it's no, it's gonna be on Netflix. It's gonna it's gonna be because well, awesome.
2: they they didn't win the awards that they were looking for too. You know, once him, you know, both all three of those, um, you know, uh, De Niro and then Pacino and uh, um, all, all those actors, they were expecting this to be like the next uh, Goodfellas or something like that. You know, more more so, you know, wanting not necessarily wanting the award, but you know, predicting that they would actually win the
1: award. Yeah. uh, I mean, I saw the film and, you know, I think it was something. I I think it was the the right film to signify that letter from him um, showing his concerns because that film kind of shows where the attention of people is and it's not on those kind of films right now. Yep.
2: Yep. Yep. And, and cause it's all in, 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 you know, comic books and uh, you know, nerd, the nerd reality that, that we're facing today where in the sense that, you know, back in the day, you know, you weren't having films like this come out, you know? I mean, if they were, they were really not that well shot and everything else, but nowadays that's all it is. You know, I mean, look, at, if you look at the top 10, highest grossing movies are basically you know
0: franchise movies
2: franchise movies yeah and and usually have you know something to do with comic books or video games or you know things like that you know and that's nerd just culture. N- nerd culture that's where the money is, seems like that so does it make it hard for like somebody like you with the your type of direction and your type of creation that you know is it make it harder for you to, to really think you can get into that or that, you know, you want to try to stay f- as far away from that type of genre?
1: Well, I'd like to um, make stories that matter and that that's Absolutely. the ultimate goal and the ultimate, uh, you know, that's the road that I've chosen. It doesn't really intersect with what's going on around me. I mean, for a while right. I did want to be a part of Hollywood and I have worked as part of Hollywood on crew side of things and some commercials um, but ultimately it's all about making stories that, that really affect people. And that's what my uncle did. And he wasn't really a part of a studio system. And that's awesome. That's awesome. And he's really revered by people, you know, at his funeral, I mean, Martin Scorsese was there. A lot of heavy hitters were there, um, wow. because he had an impact on everybody, even though he wasn't a Hollywood name. So right. I don't think you have to be a part of that system. Now, I think independent filmmaking is going to get really difficult if you want to try to do it the way that it used to be. I think you're going to have to go a lot more guerrilla and yeah. you know, your team is going to be a lot more important than it ever was because you got to work with like-minded people because, yep. you know. The, you
2: guys all have the same vision, same creation, and, and you know, it's 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 good to have a team like that. You know, I mean, you, you see a lot of these smaller directors that became big hits like Kevin Smith or something. You know, he he had his own set of actors and I'm sure he worked with the same producers and things like that, you know, so he kind of had a family and he just kind of worked his way up into Hollywood more so as an independent than a major director. You know, do, do you feel like that that's easier or even harder nowadays? Um, I think that
1: it's... Easy if you know what you're doing and if you're uh, not stuck in the past, you know. Yeah. Everything, if you basically saw this coming, which a lot of people saw this coming, and that's why there's so many digital filmmakers and digital platforms that are mm-hmm. making people so much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people skip this whole, this whole transition period that a lot of the analog filmmakers are going to have to hurdle through. Yeah i think you can make it you just have to know what you're doing and you have to embrace the digital landscape and you got to learn how to monetize the digital landscape yeah. and brand building is going to be very important but the other thing that everyone's facing right now that i've been seeing is uh there's been a lot of censorship going on on these digital platforms mm-hmm. um, especially at the s- subjects that are pertaining to the current world events right now yeah and that tells me that, um, just like in movie theaters, how, you know, you can't just put anything in the movie theaters. You also just can't put anything you want on any of these platforms and expect, mm-hmm. uh, for them A to survive or B to make you any money. So, well, just,
2: if you look at, if you look at, like with, uh, Netflix, uh, well, I think it was Amy Schumer had a, a, uh, a comedy program and, and you could rate stuff on Netflix but because it, it, you know, people were going on, there just doing it on purpose and just giving her negative reviews, you know, and that therefore they took away that option. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of a form of
0: censorship. Well, and it's the same thing with uh, Ch- Chappelle's uh, comedy that he released on on Netflix. Um, and and it was just like on Rotten Tomatoes. They were only like putting out these negative, negative scores with, you know, and it's it has to do with like the cancel culture and everything like that. But. You know, and and I think Jeremy Johns, who's a YouTube reviewer, but he's like a certified reviewer, he was the first one to get on there and be like, well, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, I think it was a good movie. So, you know, that was like the first time he got a good, (laughs) so they had to put that because he had stated that outright and addressed Rotten Tomatoes, they had to put that out there. So, I mean, it's not only, it's not only, you know, these systems that we're talking about, but, you know, it's like the, you know, the review aggregates and and different things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the independent artists are going to have to survive on back channels. I mean, just like podcasts. Podcasts are something that's kind of brand new, that's kind of in essence a back channel that isn't really monitored or that regulated right now. Right. So there's going to be little platforms like this popping up for independent filmmakers because I feel like, you know, I grew up in Iran for a bit post-revolution era, and this was in the beginning of the revolution when a lot of the freedoms were being taken away, especially with censorship and... I mean, I see a lot of the signs of it here, which, and I'm very careful to judge and say where we're going right now because it's too early to tell. But I feel like what happened there and what's happened in a lot of other similar countries like Venezuela is, you know, when the rights get taken away and censorship gets imposed, you, you definitely don't have the same rights when it comes to filmmaking. No, and, and – and, and- You know, you've seen the filmmaking
2: in Iran and things like that and seen the filmmaker in here. And I'm sure you've seen it in other places. You know, I I feel like we might have used to have the, you know, the freedom, a lot of the freedoms that none of these other countries had in making films and even music, you know, just that we've got a lot more freedoms. But I, I feel like it's starting to change now at this point. You know, I mean, just kind of what I'm seeing with all the censorship like you were talking about.
1: Absolutely. I'll make one example. You know, before the revolution in Iran, which the revolution took place in 1979, and you maybe go back seven to 10 years uh, prior to that, and Iranian cinema and Iranian culture was just like Santa Monica, California. I've seen that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was Hollywood to the T. Uh, but then the revolution came in and they all they enforced, you know, head coverings and mm-hmm. like you had to, and men couldn't wear short sleeve shirts anymore. They had to wear long sleeve shirts. And then in filmmaking, it bled over into filmmaking to where, um, you know, and this is something my uncle stayed away from because he said it was just, it's not reality. So in all of his films, he doesn't have a scene of women in bedrooms or going to sleep or anything in, uh, when they're getting ready because, uh, You have to show women wearing head coverings, even if they're going to bed um, with, you know, next to their husband or whatnot. And and people just don't realistically do that. Right. That doesn't happen. Um, They take off their head coverings, you know, because there's no reason to do it when you're going to sleep. You're only doing it for... Yeah, because uh, I, I was watching some old uh, cinema and it
2: actually had it was from Iran and and it had, you know, guys and girls out in bathing suits, dancing, things like that, you know. And nowadays, like you said, after the revolution, you know, you have things that, you know, you can't even be caught dancing in, in, in streets and things like that. And, you know, people are going to prison for 10, 15 years because of it, you know.
1: Absolutely, man. Actually, uh, you know. Think about social distancing here in Iran. A man and woman can't hold hands walking down the street, and I mean, Saudi Arabia and Arabian <clears throat> countries you also can't. Uh, wow, um, wow. But in these countries where the f- freedoms are oppressed, I mean, the six feet social distancing here is things that are enacted in other countries mm-hmm. under different names and such. But yeah. you know, they serve sort of the same same purpose, which is distancing people, keeping people away, taking away um, you feel any like- idea of individualism.
0: You feel like the powers that be want us to just kind of stay home and uh, and stay stay glued to our Netflix.
1: <laughs> well, if you were ruling, if you were trying to rule seven billion people, <laughs>
2: hey, I'm right there with you. Yeah, but but you know, back back to the the, the previous question, do you kind of feel like uh, cinema in this country is kind of getting a uh, you know, there's you know, yeah, we do have our constitutional rights, but, you know, do, do you kind of feel like maybe the cinema is,
1: is changing and it seems like it's changing rapidly? I mean, that's what I see, really. Yeah, I mean, the constitutional rights could have universal truth and could apply to any new medium that right. comes about. There's so many new mediums that are coming about to where the constitutional rights are up for debate, so I don't know how much they apply, and most people don't even know about them uh, in the new upcoming years, I would say. Um, and so I don't know. They are, I think the constitutional rights are not, you can say under attack or they can just, they're being forgotten along with uh, what life used to be like pre. I mean, think about life pre cell phones. Yeah. I don't think, I don't it's think, hard. you know, people our age can even remember it for the no. most part.
2: No, I, mean, I when I went to high school. When I went to high school, up until I graduated, they, there was not you didn't
0: have cell phones. Well, in a, high school. a few lucky people had like beepers. Yeah. in middle school <laughs> and no stuff right. like that.
1: I had a beeper. I so did a I. <laughs> yeah, my cousin,
0: my cousin, he got a beeper.
1: He was so excited about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I felt like a drug dealer. So I felt. Like <laughs> <laughs> I didn't deal any drugs, but I felt like. So let me let me ask had you this. Your special codes and everything.
2: <laughs> so let me ask you this: you know it in hollywood you know i mean is because of this stuff this 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 covid things that's out i mean are they using any kind of new technology to you know so that you know you don't have to be on site or anything kind of crazy like that just just that that you know to protect you know the health of the nation
1: yes um so basically on the shoot that i was on we you know the technology before you even walk in to the set you have to get your temperature Checked and then you know, answer some questions. Mm-hmm. And every day you go through this health screening that takes a few minutes and then you get the sticker, and then you go on through. Do you collect your uh, stickers? I, I collected the first few stickers. <laughs> I, thought, I thought in 50 years somebody could take them to the antique. Jail. Put it in the history books. <laughs> that's right. Um, some shows have been doing tests before they get in, uh, but that's not mandated. In California, it's mandated to do uh, the temperature thing and the, you know, ask some questions. And it's also mandated that, uh, actors who are unmasked, um, all crew members have to stay within eight feet of them. Um, if you have to get close to them, you have to wear a face shield and wear, uh, wear gloves. Um, and, and you can't have, you know, if you have to have an actor in screen with you, they have to be also eight feet apart um, if they're unmasked. (laughs) And it's actually, I, I don't even think that, um, I don't think it's actually you're supposed to have another actor on in frame unmasked. And so now the solutions that they're coming up with that I have seen is like, I saw this making out scene. It was an intimate scene (laughs) and it was was a person who was making out with somebody who was fully dressed up in in a green outfit with a green (laughs) mouth. They green screened uh, (laughs) them. Yeah, they green screened them. And I also saw a person posted, uh, they filmed a feature film in this downtime. So a lot of people are being creative. They filmed a feature film uh, fully through zoom where they would uh, ship the camera gear fully sanitized to the actors. They would uh, then zoom in with the actors, tell them how to set up the camera, and then uh, the director would zoom direct the actor or actors in the scene in front of the camera because usually uh, you have a limited number of people based on how big your space is in the room. So sometimes you could fit two actors in there. Wow. Uh, and so people are getting very creative, you know, and this, this person did this whole shipping of a camera thing to a whole bunch of actors and did this, and they were out of, like, a 30-day <laughs> shoot. They were only on set for one day. The director was only on set for one day. The rest of it, she was just zooming in. Wow. They, yeah, they did that for the draft this year, actually, the NFL draft. They sent cameras
2: to these people's houses and had them set it up. Really? Yeah, and they did it. I mean, that's got that's got to make acting just hard in general. I mean, you know, it, again, I get, I get the whole green screen in them but i mean even then you know it's it's hopefully it wasn't like anything like uh what is it justice league where uh Hen- henry cavill had to get his his mu- his yeah, goatee digitally digitally removed. Mouth.
1: <laughs> hopefully it's not as bad as that so yeah but you're right for the actors i mean it must really throw everybody off and it's more of a an accomplishment to be able to film something like that during this time then it, i mean it could come out as a very good film but more well, of an accomplishment. I feel like a lot of the big budget films, like I was reading in an article, uh, there's a $70 million sci-fi film that is going to have a robot be its lead actor. And it's a fully skinned, artificial, intelligent robot. It's going to be able to speak and act. You know, you're right? messing, so you're messing with is, us, this right? This is a serious thing, right? This is a serious thing, yes. Is absolutely. is that robot paid? I mean,
0: is and Will and, and and Smith breaks? in the, the movie as well? <laughs> Will Smith,
1: I don't know make, yet. Make sure you have well, Will
0: Smith stand by because he yeah. doesn't like those robots. He don't
1: like them. He's probably trying to get in <laughs> on that film. Uh, but yeah, it's a real thing. Somebody owns him, so they they do get paid. And then uh, there's also a CGI actress who's been signed with CAA, which is the largest talent agency, arguably the largest talent agency. Wow! And that's like—is that like an AI? That one is an AI CGI character, so it's. A digital character that you know looks pretty real, um, but also has a mind of its own. So I mean, we're, get, uh, it, we're we're getting in into Sarah Connor territory here. It start, seems yeah, like it yeah. Freak me out a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> but I, see, this
1: brings me back to that whole of, like, why was Hollywood or is Hollywood making the content that it is? And I feel like right. it served its purpose to an extent, and now it's moving on to the next level, which is AI running the show because yeah. people. Again, they don't need as many people anymore. I mean, this is why all these restrictions are are here for filmmaking. I mean, it really makes filmmaking impossible for, for people who don't have millions and millions of dollars. And and if, well, and see with, with AI,
2: it's, uh, I mean, do you think that that's the future? Like that's the, the, I mean, we see, you said it is like the future, but um do you think that's that's about as far as they're going to go, or is it going to be like, are we getting into virtual reality type situations? Like, would be the final stage, or like
0: computers writing our scripts, uh, yeah. just taking different scenarios and crashing them together and, and writing writing yeah. scripts for us? No, that's what
1: they did for Sharknado. Yeah. For Sharknado, yes, oh, yeah. that's what they did for Sharknado. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but you know what they did? There was an Olive Garden commercial. Did you hear about that one? That was made no. by a computer. No. Made by a computer. I yeah, and it. I believe it aired at the Super Bowl, this last Super Bowl, or the one before, but it was a Olive Garden commercial, and they basically fed hundreds and hundreds of prior Olive Garden commercials into this computer AI, and then they told it to make a 30-second commercial based off of, you know— the, the, the,
0: I've uh, seen some Olive. of those. I've seen—people will share them online where it's like— You know, they they get fed a certain amount of like TV episodes or whatever. And some of these scripts are just outrageous and they make no sense and everything. But I can't believe they did a commercial off of that.
1: Well, the Olive Garden one came out pretty good because it was good enough to air at the Super Bowl. Now I don't know how much super uh, human supervision at the end came in, but they claim that it was 100 percent AI.
2: That's crazy. I mean, see, and to me, you know, I think that. You know what is that movie? Uh, that Pixar movie with the robot and then the Wally. Wally. You know, I I, I kind of feel like you know it's hopefully Hollywood doesn't get to that point where it's just stuffing mindless entertainment into your head. You know, so I mean, it's for me as a as a movie I'm lover forward to being
0: fat on a floating nah,
2: chair no, nah, But as as a uh, um, a movie lover, I I just I have to get some something besides just the entertainment. You know, I have to think about it. You know, before
1: I. We uh, really enjoy a movie, you know. Yeah, got to get something out of it. It's like reading a book. Oh yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to read a fluffy book. I want to get something that's going to add to me, and help me, uh, help others, or just grow and understand more.
0: You know, I, I had a quick question for you. You know, we we were just talking about you know Henry Cavill's uh, mustache being taken away and everything, which we you know remind me of the Snyder cut that's coming out. Um, that along with uh, the, the Sonic movie, where there was such a fan outcry of how Sonic looked, and so they went back and re-shot, uh, not reshot it, but you know re uh, remade Sonic to look more closer to the video games. Um, what do you think about you know fan um, interference in you know if they see something they don't like, you know, or they want the Snyder cut or you know, they want the sonic changed and, and the studios are doing it to please those fans. I mean, do you think that that starts to tread on like an artist's vision? Do you think that's kind of a dangerous road? Like to pander, pandering
2: to, to the, the nerd fans, you know?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, the artist's vision. Well, the director who signs on to those projects, I mean, they have to understand that their vision is compromised when they sign away their Final Cut rights. Yeah. So they're basically they they basically have to do what uh, the studio wants them to do. Otherwise, they can just get somebody else to do it.
2: Basically, just so, do do what whoever signs their paycheck tells them to do, kind of thing.
1: Exactly, and also then uh, whoever signs their paycheck ultimately goes to the people who are watching the project. So if they are outraged and they make a big enough fuss about it, um, yeah, you could see changes happen. So yeah. That's just the nature of the, of the game. And I actually ironically worked with those guys at um, um, who did the Sonic film. I, I worked with them on the fundraiser uh, film because they did a pilot uh, in, and they filmed in Utah. And I was the first assistant director on it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah, because they're yeah. about to come out with a part two. Do you think you'll get a call? Um, I don't think so. You know, I didn't get a call for the first yeah. the feature, for the feature right. film on. Um, I even shot some uh, some aerial stuff that ended up in the in the pilot one that raised the financing. But because it was all union and I'm not union affiliated as a first aid AD because I never wanted to be. Um, thank you. I just thank you. you, know, <laughs> I, be, you know. I agree.
0: Well, you know, the, the last thing I think we wanted to touch on was it was basically, um, you know, what, what what the state of hollywood is uh right now um and 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 streaming services you know we had this con- controversy between uh, amc and, and universal where um you know universal had a lot of success putting trolls world tour out on uh, on the streaming platform and uh they they i think they got more returns than they did for the first one um through through box office returns um so that you know that that CEO was was talking about how they wanted to start pushing pushing more things to stream and doing less in the theaters and everything um, you know and, and then you know of course AMC said well we're never going to show Universal uh, uh, movies in our, our, our theaters or anything like that so I mean do you see the future as you know theaters are only for blockbuster franchise big films and everything else is going to get relegated to streaming services and you know what would that mean because i mean streaming services they're all about just getting as much as they can to justify their platform so i mean how do you see that future going
1: i believe that we're headed towards a technology society like a fully run technologist society and that includes the filmmaking and uh, all the media consumption that any anybody's gonna gonna take is gonna come from the tech side of the world, and they're gonna dictate who gets to see what. And for tech to be able to do that, they have to make places like AMC go out of business, so that they yeah. could come in and take over their cinemas mm-hmm. and and put in the kind of content that they ultimately want people to see.
2: Cause they're, they, so, you know, Netflix is doing it too. And, and, you know, I feel like it's kind of pulling a business away from the theater, you know, Netflix and Hulu, you know, which, where they, they automatically, you know, put, put out their production right away, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like we're going towards a technocracy and you can Google what that definition is. But I'm basically, Googling that right now. I like that <laughs> word. <laughs> there you go. Um, but basically, yeah, all, all um, brick and mortar all analog platforms are going to go digital because digital the other thing we have to understand about the tech industry is it's one and the same as the banking industry so mm. every, everybody's interests are aligned and they they all just kind of want to control everything because you know if you play monopoly i mean that's the point of the game is to try to win have the most amount of squares it's not that you're trying to do anything bad it's just the point of the game so yeah. I feel like uh, for them to control everything they have to take over the theaters. Yeah. Do you think Disney have- is going to be the one to take control? <laughs>
0: or, or do you think they do you think Disney's going to be the one to take control or do you think they already have?
1: Well, you know, they <laughs> are one of them who who have and, and there's not that many. I mean, yeah. I think there's only a handful of people who own all the media networks and all yeah. the studios.
2: Well, uh, and if you see see that's what they did with like like newspapers and stuff, you know, you have people that, you know, like Bezos that that bought what the Washington Post and uh, he he ended up uh, putting it all like digital you know what I mean so literally, literally I'm putting putting the actual newspaper that
0: technocracy yeah
2: yes yes uh, literally you know took the, the actual paper newspaper and threw it away you know and so basically now you just you know reading
0: it online yeah but when's the last time you read a newspaper I think most people like read newspapers online and stuff
2: well, like that because none of, none of it's biased anymore or I mean uh, you know it's all
1: it's all taken away. It's all hidden. Yeah. Up. If you don't know, well, a, uh, it's been replaced by yeah. the digital screens, which is again, that's the whole, if you want to have a technocracy um, you have to get rid of everything that was analog or uh, old school or traditional. Um, and it's also, it's because you have to control the information because if mm-hmm. you can control the information, you can control where everything's going go, yep. to go. Yeah. Just, call- just read 1984. Yeah. Trust me on that yeah. one. <laughs> There you go. Nineteen
0: eighty-four, Atlas Shrug, You know, any yeah. any of those yeah.
1: type of stuff. yeah. A lot of people have had this information. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and and have seen it for generations coming. I mean, so I think was- our founding fathers even said, you know, you know, we, we've given you uh, uh, you know a free country; it's yours to lose, basically.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and I think the people who know and who have written about this have seen it in other countries, um, which is why I it's so familiar to me because I saw it in Iran where i'm from and so mm-hmm. uh, when you see it happening here and you've and you've seen it before you can kind of relate the two but if you haven't before then it's just kind of a coincidence yeah and you so, really you really got to k- kind of keep your eyes open because i
2: mean you know a lot of times people will open their eyes and see something and then they'll they'll be like eh it's maybe a fluke and then they close their eyes again but it's you know the i mean i'm i'm not i'm being you know not technically serious about this but you know you've got to really always keep your eyes open, you know, and, and see, see the signs, you know, and believe that they're there, you know, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We could, be, I mean, I could be wrong about where, what I'm thinking and uh, I'm still of the weight and see mentality, but I feel yeah. like the reason we're not using newspapers is because there's no history about them. I mean, there won't be any history. Like by the time my daughter, who's going to be a year old next month, by the time she's, you know, Congrats. my age, I'm, you know, 35 uh, I don't know if she'll know what a newspaper is unless yeah. you know she's gone to a museum or heard about it, or what cursive so, is. Well, and,
0: and and like my kids, my kids like they they think it's crazy when I tell them that I'm older than Google. And, you know, <laughs> it's just it, it, it yeah. doesn't make it doesn't compute to them. And then I think about it, and I'm like, wow, that's weird. Yes, <laughs> is, that is. I so, about that. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on, Sirab? Uh, I know that you you kind of wanted to touch on a, uh, on a couple things. Is there anything we left out?
1: Uh, no, you know, I think that uh, as is the theme here, everybody should just be paying attention to what's going on and uh, look for different perspectives, especially back channels, because good information, good movies, good storytelling, and the truth sometimes is only found in back channels. Yep. And those have to be sought out.
0: Definitely. You have to, you have to put forth a little effort um, to get something rich, especially when it comes to cinema. Um, you can go to the, you can go to the theater and be entertained by you know a, a franchise movie, a superhero movie, or whatever. But we actually I mean, have a name for it,
2: actually. We well, call
0: it- yeah, Andrew coined it. You know, uh, uh, called popcorn eaters, and that's basically when you don't really want to think about it. you just want to go and be entertained. You know,
1: right.
0: and uh, so, but but you know, if we want those rich, the, the, the more rich films, and to not have this kind of just sludge into the same things being released in theaters and you're just going and watching the same thing over and over and over um you know we we need to seek these things out we need to be more proactive and that's one of the things that that you know why me and me and drew wanted to do this podcast is because we just love movies and we have these conversations and we talk way in depth in them than than a lot of other people do and people kind of look at us like Why? uh, Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Why are you talking? You know, why are you so into this? But I mean, it's that passion that we have, and we want to spread that and we want to share that passion and hopefully inspire others to have the passion for movies and to actually think about them too. And not only just the movies, but the process that goes into making them. And we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we like, we like
2: some of these, you know, especially Marvel and comic book stuff, but, you know, we also love these, these movies that people have not heard of, you know, and, and that's, True. I I feel like that's like true um, love for movies, you know, and for cinema and, and, you know, old movies, new movies, you know, movies that nobody's ever heard of. But, you know, that's uh, the people like us are the kind of people that that keep, you know, these these guys that have these great ideas that just need a chance to to grow bigger and, and get a chance to to be on these big films and things like that. You know, but we're the ones that keep them employed and keep them eating.
1: That's right. Beautiful. Keep me. Yeah. Keep me. <laughs> yeah. I love my blockbusters as well. Absolutely. I mean, there's. Uh, you can't constantly be on all the time. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. But but balance is the great thing. And and I feel like uh, if anything, also quarantine has caused a lot of people to maybe go inward and spend more time with their family and you know slow down a little bit. And so that's the other benefit of what's going on right now. Um, maybe get a different perspective on life because that's why we watch. Movies and stories, even the mind numbing ones is just for another somebody else's perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes you just want to escape what's going on in the world It's like you know, you got a lot of movies where, um, you know, they they're, they're trying to put in a message and it's like, I don't want a message. I just want to watch a Star Wars movie. You know why do you have to have why do you have to plug? It's Star Wars, you know. <laughs> it's it, it. was never meant to have these message, these political uh, in our world political uh, messages in it. I just want to switch off and watch Star Wars or or any number of of things that do the same thing. That's right, man. Absolutely, Mandalorian. That was great. Oh my god, awesome. You know? Yeah, me and me and my brother are actually gonna uh, rewatch the series and then do an episode on the Mandalorian yes, as well. So. Absolutely. <clears throat> Well, cool. Uh, if you'd like to contact Sarab or uh, Miramont Pictures, you can do so uh, through their website at www.miramont.com. That's M-I-R-M-O-N-T dot com. Uh, on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash Miramont. And on all other social media like Twitter and Instagram, uh, it's at s So that's s, uh, at S-S-M-I-R-M-O-N-T. Um, so Rob, I want to thank you so much for taking the thank time you, thank you. to be on the the show today and having this conversation. I think it'll open uh, a lot of cinephiles' eyes to what uh, has been and what's to come. Um, and I wish you good luck and continued success and, in, and in your filmmaking your,
2: journey. And thanks for teaching us a new word, by the way. Oh yeah, technocracy. technocracy. Yeah, I'm gonna be. Yeah, like yeah, that's that.
0: that's gonna be a hashtag for us on our social media, technocracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. All right. Thanks for having
1: me, It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no appreciate problem,
0: it. man. We we appreciate it. Uh thanks guys. We appreciate you listening and uh we'll see you next time. And throw me about